Good morning again. Today we arrive at the end of the matter, literally. Throughout Ecclesiastes, the preacher-teacher has taken us down all sorts of paths that we humans run down uh, in our mindless pursuit of having a good life. He has shown us time and time again that life is vanity of vanities, hebel of hebel, mist of mist is our human existence. And the preacher's words have been so challenging and helpful for us as we emerge from this global pandemic with millions upon millions of souls leaning hard into getting back their normal lives. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes says, not so fast, normal is not good. Normal will not satisfy you. Not only that, but normal life under the sun will actually harden you to where real joy is found above the sun with God in heaven. So this book has been a kick in the gut, hasn't it? It's a needed wake-up call for God's people. And these final verses we're about to read will bring it all home to us. It is our last chance to dig into Ecclesiastes and hear from God just what life is all about. And he begins by talking to young people about the importance of getting life right at an early age. And then he brings us all to the end of the matter. Are you ready? Our passage begins in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, and we go through all the end to the end of of the book in chapter 12. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil day, days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the streets are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight 
and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end. And of much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing. Whether good or evil. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these true and delightful words that we have heard. They are many, and some of them are confusing. Help us, though, to reach the end of the matter, that our lives would be rooted firmly in you, um, that all things that we do would be for your glory and your honor, because you have given us new life in Christ. We pray for your presence by your Holy Spirit, um, to press deeply these truths into our lives. May, may these words work as goads uh, to prod us towards holiness. May they, may, may they be nailed to the center of our minds so that all that we do is to honor and glorify you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The playwright Samuel Beckett He was made famous for his play, Waiting for Godot. Perhaps you read that. I have. Um, He also wrote what has got to be the shortest play on record. Beckett says his play, titled Breath, should last approximately 35 seconds. It consists with the opening sound of the cry of childbirth. It's followed by an amplified recording of somebody slowly inhaling and exhaling. And it's accompanied by an increase and decrease in the intensity of the lights. And then there is a second cry of death, and the play ends. No people are seen on the stage, but Beckett states that it should be littered with miscellaneous rubbish. And that there were to be no verticals. The rubbish was to be all scattered and lying on the ground. So here's the play. A birth cry. Breath, lights flickering, last breath, cry at death, with nothing but debris littered on the ground, all in 35 seconds. I cannot help but think that Beckett has read Ecclesiastes, for he understood that life is vanity of vanities. It is all vanity. It's a chasing after the wind. Good luck chasing the wind. You are born, you enjoy good times and bad times, and then you die with no purpose to life at all, or so it seems. But Beckett only gets part of of Ecclesiastes right. Did you see, did you pick up on Beckett's instructions for his play? There's to be no verticals on the stage. That is, no props that would cause one to lift their head up from the cold, hard earth. There is to be no looking up from under the sun. No transcendent deity to offer any hope of meaning or purpose to life. As his play, Waiting for Godot, makes clear for Beckett, there is no God above. Thankfully, the words of Ecclesiastes are meant not just for us to 
gain this sense of futility, but also to lift our heads to God so that we might attach our lives to him. Now, in reality, Samuel Beckett is not the target audience of the book of Ecclesiastes. The target audience is who? It's the people of God in ancient Israel who are experiencing great prosperity and international acclaim, which in itself isn't a problem. The problem is they had forgotten the Lord. The Lord had warned them against this after God delivered them from bondage in Egypt and had them on their way to the promised land. God spoke these chilling words. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. It is a bone-chilling condition to find oneself living as one who has forgotten God, their creator. My friends, that warning for ancient Israel is a warning for the church today. Is it not true that we who know Christ, we who have rejoiced in his death on our behalf, we who delight in the fact that he's called us to die to self and follow him, is it not true that we can find our hearts are set on earthly happiness apart from him? Christian, you know this tension, do you not? And so the final word settled the matter for us. Here's the big idea this morning. Meaning in life, happiness, is only found by centering your life on Christ. We will look at that under two headings, living right and made right. The writer gives us three R's of living rightly. There's a pirate joke in there somewhere, I know. There are three main imperatives in that first long section that we read. The three R's are rejoice, Remove and remember. One thing I hope we've come to learn in this sermon series is this. One, listen, God is a happy, joyful God. Two, God made us to experience happiness and joy. So you are not wrong to desire them. And three, life under the sun tempts us to find happiness and joy in creation not in our creator. And so the writer commands us to rejoice. Verse 7, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Now, first, a few observations. Light is sweet. We're enjoying it right now. It is pleasant to see the sun. In other words, it is a good thing to be alive. Most days. God does not promise you prosperity with each new day, but he has promised that the sun will rise each day. He hasn't missed a day. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 118, verse 24. Perhaps you know it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I'm afraid much of the world cannot rejoice in the morning. They must wait until the day is over. Why? Uncertainty. (laughs) They can only know if a day is worth rejoicing over if at the end of the day, the market closes up 2%. Or Match.com forwards you 
good-looking prospects. But those who know the Lord have the grace to receive every day, no matter what comes. As we read in verse 8, we are to rejoice in all the days, even the days when there are many darknesses upon us. So let me ask you, has God given you the grace to rejoice in the morning, no matter what may? After speaking to people of all ages, a preacher turns to younger people in his audience. And so to those under 30 here today, here you go. You get to listen up, unless you're like really little, and just keep playing with the bugs you found. All right. Verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let, not, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. All right, what is he saying to young people? A couple things. First, young people, that sense that you have inside of you that you were made for having a cheerful heart, it's real. It's not bad. Don't ever think that Christianity somehow restricts you from having things that can properly cheer your heart. The command is clear. You're completely free to chase the longings of your heart And whatever gives joy to your eyes. That's the first thing. And of course there's parents here thinking, did the pastor just say jump wholeheartedly into the longings of your heart? Yes, I did. But there's a second part that must go with it. What is it? Verse 9, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Listen, my friends, you have freedom that God has given you to pursue happiness in this world, but it must be done with wisdom. Check out what Derek Kidner says. You might want to jot this one down. It's brilliant. He writes, Joy was created to dance with goodness, not alone. Joy was created by the God of joy to dance with goodness, not alone. Consider the life of Jesus. He was and is the only sinless, perfect person to ever walk this earth. He was completely free in the sense that he had no sin nature that we're born with. Now try to wrap your head around this. Whatever Jesus' heart desired on earth, whatever his eyes desired, he pursued and he got it. He walked in the ways of his heart and in the sight of his eyes all the days of his life. Every day, Jesus set his heart on things, and they always came to be. Wow. Now, that's not how we experience life, is it? Perfect freedom to pursue whatever our hearts desires, and the guarantee that it'll come about. Now, with this backdrop, let me ask you. How did Jesus use his perfect freedom? Always to a good end. Jesus' heart desires were always things that were good in God's sight, which tells us what? If this dance called life is to be really enjoyed, if we are free to pursue our heart's desires, then the dance will only go well when our heart's desires are godly and good desires. Does that make sense? And listen, especially you younger people here, when it says that God will bring all your pursuits into judgment... This judgment is not meant to curb your joy, but to ensure that your joy is actually well-founded. Joy was created to dance with goodness, 
not alone. The next R is remove. We see it in verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart. Put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And what are vexations? Well, vexations are the things that tend to anger or irritate us. They can be different for different people. They're the things that make the glass either half empty or half full, depending upon what kind of person you are. And life is full of them. Missed plane flights, overlooked promotions. There are vexations everywhere. My oldest daughter returned to the dorms at Fordham University last week. She was supposed to room with a good friend, Christina. At least that's what she was promised by the dorm people. But then six days before moving in, she was told that she had three roommates, and Christina was not one of them. Now, amazingly, I don't know if I can take credit for this, but uh, our daughter took it all in stride. She chose not to feel sorry for herself. She removed vexation from her heart, and it freed her to simply enjoy the fact that she was returning to university and that God would work out all the details. I like what Phil Riken says about this. It's a long quote. Listen, this is not a call to deny the very real suffering that everyone experiences, nor is it a call to escape pain by living for pleasure. Rather, it is a call to take care of our mental and physical health. If we are getting discouraged by various vexations, and if we are tempted, therefore, to become depressed or disillusioned, we should do what the preacher says and remove those vexations from our hearts. This starts with refusing to feel sorry for ourselves. Rather than dwelling on the things that are going wrong, we should count our blessings. We should also seek the care of a pastor or the counsel of Christian friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are sympathetic to our situation, but also able to see our situation for what it is and tell us what we need to hear, especially from the scriptures. Speaking of scriptures, one of my go-to verses for this is, 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 uh, Ecclesi- is sorry, I just, my iPad just went crazy over it. Psalm 55, verse 22, perhaps you know it. Cast all your cares, all your vexations upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So we're to rejoice, and we are to remove. Next, we are to remember. Bono, the lead singer of U2, afraid I have to say that now. The younger kids don't even know who Bono is. But there we go. He has written this, quote, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive, why he was created. He tries knowledge. He tries wealth. He tries experience. He tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why. And it says, remember your creator. In a way, it's such a letdown. Yet it isn't. End quote. So let's look at that chapter 12, verse 1, where it says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Listen, remembering your God is far from a letdown. It is the only thing that matters in this one short life that you have to live. Getting to know our creator before we grow old and die is the most important thing we can ever do. As Riken says, This call is especially for young people. Remember God now while you still have your wits about you. 
Remember God now while you're still charting your course in life and making important decisions about what to do with your talents. Remember your creator now before you forget the God who made you and make a lot of bad decisions that you will regret later. Remember God now while you still have a whole lifetime to live for his glory. As Charles Bridges once said, listen, many have remembered too late. None too soon. Now it's important to understand what it means to remember God. First, these things we've talked about, rejoicing and removing are impossible apart from first remembering God. And second, to remember God is not purely a mental activity, like trying to remember where you parked your car. It's not simply remembering that God exists. To remember God is what? To commit our whole lives to him. In fact, the preacher doesn't use the word God here, does he? What, what word does he use? Creator. That's a powerful word. Puts us in our place. Remember your creator. See, we are creatures created by God, for God. And so to remember your creator, your God, in your youth is a, is a call to embrace God in every circumstance of your life to include him in all of your plans. And so as Kidner writes, he says, to remember God is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit our lives to him. So listen, especially if you're young, remember your creator in the days of your youth. The best time to do this is when you are young, not old. Why? Because the sooner you commit your life and your ways to God, the sooner you experience the joy that only God gives you. And you will enjoy, you will, you will avoid the heartache that others experience. I'm not going to do this, but my guess is if I were to ask every older person here to stand up, if they wish they had understood this truth at a younger age, my guess is that most every adult here would rise and encourage you to give your life wholly to God now, not tomorrow. And then the writer gives us this poetic picture of old age. I won't go into all the details, but he uses one metaphor after another to describe old age and dying, like verse 3, in the days when the strong men are bent. Verse 5, where the old are afraid of what is high, and terrors are in the way. This is, this is when you get old and your body is unstable. And then everything becomes an, an obstacle in your path. Think of a grandchild's toy lying in the middle of the hallway. And when you're old, you become fragile and look like a grasshopper who drags itself around. Verse 5. And then as verse 7 declares, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Listen, young people, one day you will be old and gray if you live that long. You will move slowly, maybe even use a cane or a walker, and you will come to agree with the preacher that all of life is vanity of vanities. It all went by so fast, none of your pursuits apart from God and his glory ever amounted to anything. Like a drop of water on a hot skillet was your life. 
problem is if you wait until you're at the end of your life to turn your life over to God, it probably will not happen. Why? Because by then you will become too bitter, too angry at God to think he is the one you actually need to turn to. So remember your creator now. And then you will find that every day of your life has God given meaning and purpose. You'll be able to rejoice in all the days of your life, even the dark days, because you know God. And you'll have years upon years of seeing how God has answered your prayers, how in his kindness towards you, he has removed your vexations. So remember your creator in the day of your youth. Does this make sense? More than does it make sense, does this hit you as the only thing, the most important thing you could ever do in life? It is. So first, the end of the matter we see is he shows us what it looks to live rightly. Now he turns the end of the matter with what it looks like to be made rightly. And we see that we're made right by the word of God and the grace of God. Consider this important truth. If God chose not to come down and speak to us, we would still have a sense that there is a creator, right? We live in his creation. But we'd, we'd have so many more questions than we have answers. For us to know God, he must first speak with us, to us, in words that we can comprehend. Chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, we read, Beside being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Listen, God shepherds his people through the precious words of his treasured scriptures. True words, but also what? They should delight us. God's words should delight our souls. After considering how messed up life is on earth under the sun, there is nothing more delightful to our ears and our souls than to hear the words of grace from God. There is but one shepherd, we read. God himself. And his words give us life. And they work to make us right. Did you see how he used the, that the words are, are goads to us, right? Uh, that is, they prod us along. Because why? Because we tend to stray like sheep who need to be moved along by our shepherd. He goads us through scripture. And his words are like nails firmly fixed. That is, his holy word to us becomes nailed down inside of our minds. There, the word of God daily informs all of our life. So let me ask you, how important are the Holy Scriptures to you? Do you feed on the word of God daily? Do you find yourself being goaded out of sinful patterns towards holiness? Is the word of God nailed down in your mind? Do all of your thoughts and longings and hopes and dreams get processed through biblical wisdom? And most importantly, has the the words of truth pointed you to the one shepherd that the writer points us to in this text, the the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Do you know that Psalm 118 is all about him? Right before we read verse 24, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. You know what comes right above it? The stone that the builders rejected 
has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. How is it that we can rejoice in every day the Lord has made? Because Jesus is the stone that the builders have rejected. That is the, what Peter quotes when he stood before the council after Jesus had died and rose again. He quotes Psalm 118 to the religious leaders. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The word of God is meant to point us to the Son of God so that we may be saved from our sin and return to God, to return to this dance of life, of joy. God's grace and his grace alone is what can make you right. That is the end of the matter. Turning to God to receive his mercy so that we may be renewed and live rightly on earth with the few years God has given us. That is what the very last words of our text say, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Do you remember from last week, to fear God, it's actually a good thing? The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. And do you remember that Christianity is the only religion in which the one you fear is also the one you run to for safety and salvation? And listen, we must get this right. When the writer says, listen, this is the whole duty of man, what comes to mind when you hear that? Please understand, this isn't so much God's demands upon us. Rather, it reflects our greatest need as human beings. He is not laying on us something like, hey, it's your duty, go do it. No, it's more like telling a bird, you were made to fly. So fly. It's your duty to fly. This is how you were made. My friends, we are creatures made by a creator. And we've all strayed from our creator. And so fearing God and keep his commandments are not our duty because God demands it. It's our duty because only by living this way will you ever be satisfied. As St. Augustine prayed, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our heart is restless till it rests in thee. In other words, you were made by God to joyfully dance with God all the days of your life. And then when we die, to join in that great perfection in heaven. Listen, knowing this changes how we live today. It makes us right in how we live. How so? Look at that last verse, 14. It's the very last thing that is said in this book. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. God judges every deed. And at first, our knee-jerk reaction is like, that's scary. Why would the book end on such a scary thing as God judging? Well, it is scary. Um, if you don't have Christ in your life. But I believe that these words, the very last words of Ecclesiastes, are meant to actually encourage us. How so? Well, think about it. This entire book has repeatedly stated that life under the sun is vapor. It's mist. It's a futile striving after the wind. 
And so the temptation is what? It's to lean into nihilism, like the playwright Samuel Beckett, that life actually has no meaning. The things that you do, whether big or small, matter for nothing in this mist of a world. But now here we are at the very end of the matter. And we see that when God has been restored upon the throne of your life, listen, even the tiniest of things you do as God's child are valuable. What's the logic here? How did you get to that conclusion, Mark? Well, if God will bring every deed into judgment, everyone, even the small secret things we do, then everything we could ever do is important to God. Everything. Think about it. There are no small things in Jesus' life. Jesus shows us that there is no detail on earth that is too small for heaven. An idle word. The death of a sparrow. A cup of cold water. The turning of another cheek the repentance of just one sinner. Listen, the end of the matter is this. Life itself does not hold the key for how to live life. The key to living in creation only comes from the creator. In other words, the key to happiness in your life under the sun is not found under the sun. This is why we must fear God in a healthy way. For there is no other source of true and lasting delight so turn to christ let him shepherd you let his words delight your soul let his suffering on your behalf become your source of strength as you remove vexations from your heart let the stone that the builders rejected be the one who causes you to say this is the day the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it let's pray Father, the end of the matter brings us back on our knees in your presence. We are reminded that life on earth under the sun is meaningless apart from you, Father, who resides above the sun. You are the key. Your son Jesus is the one who brings us into this reality. We thank you and praise you for that. May these words this morning goad us from where we are to where you want us to be. And may they be firmly fixed in our minds, not just today, but for all the days of our lives. As we live on this earth for your glory, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.